First and foremost, just want to welcome each one of you into 2018. This is the first Sunday of a new year. It's good to see the numbers that have made it out, made a positive effort to be here. For some, it was not an easy trek. For others, it was uh, it was pretty modest. But all of you, uh, thank you, because we together march forward into 2018. I don't know what your first week was like for the new year. Um, I had the joy of spending a little bit of my time at emergency on January the 1st. So I got to enjoy a hospital visit. And as we were thinking about the hospital and all that's involved in being there waiting in emerge, I know that there's always those people who say, oh, what isn't fast enough? Never get through this line quick enough. And it just paused and we were talking, I was talking with uh, my son-in-law Dan at the time and went in with a very serious root canal infection. And uh, anyone know what a, a root canal is like? It's very small root, but boy, do they, does it ever let you know that it doesn't like you at that point in time. And uh, so the conversation was rather interesting as we were waiting. Some in the emerge were saying, oh, it's kind of long and we've been here since an hour and a half or whatever. And we just said, you know what? Be thankful we have it. Lots of places in this world you don't have hospitalization. You don't have emergencies. You don't even have the opportunity. And in some places you would pay upwards of a thousand dollars just to see a doctor. And so um, I'm very grateful for the universal health care that we have and uh, the fact that they uh, have doctors who are willing to come in on January 1st. You know, they take their out of their done. So hats off, kudos to the medical people, the nurses, the doctors, and all those others that work when we are enjoying our family times and they're standing on guard for us, protecting us both health and militarily and, uh, and from the criminals as well. So there's lots to be grateful for as we enter into this this 2018. Let's just pause for a moment and just ask the Lord to bless his word, shall we? Lord, we bow our hearts, we bow our heads, and we acknowledge again that you alone are God. We've been singing of your glory, and that we would desire, like Moses of old, to show us your glory. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of grace and glory, that you would see fit to come amongst us, and Lord, as we look at how Jesus fits into the Old Testament, uh, this is a topic way too big for one little short message, but we thank you, Lord, that perhaps in some small way you can just take these efforts, these words, the scripture, and apply it to our hearts, Lord. May it not just bounce off our heads. May it not just uh, tinkle off our chests or fall, flow down our backs, but it may it sink deeply into our hearts that we might see you and realize how much love we owe to you and how great you are. Lord, thank you again for your goodness this day. Uh, we pray that those who are weak in faith may be encouraged and those who have no faith may walk away with that kernel of faith planted by your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you again for this time together and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.
We were talking about the person of Jesus, and my assignment was to look at the Word of God from the Old Testament and to take a moment and snapshot it and show how Jesus fulfills prophecy from the Old Testament. But I want to take a step back first. And I think it's important that everyone here, regardless of where you are on the spiritual journey, mature, young, newly in the faith, no faith, whatever position you find yourself in, we must realize that first and foremost today, we deal with a generation of youth. When I say youth, I'm speaking 40 and under. So if you fit that category, you're youth today. Oh, I see. Peggy's decided she's joined the category, so that's good. Thanks, Peggy. Um, So the youth of today doesn't believe in truth. I don't know if you've noticed that. But here's the reason why I would like to suggest that is the case. And we need to know that. If we're coming to a person with a presupposition that truth exists... And that person says, oh, wait a minute, truth doesn't exist. There's no such thing as truth. What you call truth, I call fiction. Or fake news. And there's a lot of that going on. And so, how do you discern what is truth and what is not? Well, the youth said there is no such thing as truth. If you surveyed a group under 40 and you asked them, is truth, does truth exist? Does can we say that there are absolutes? They would say, well, yeah, absolute zero, maybe. You know, I can go down and get to the, that maximum cold. And they might say, and there's, there's certain things that I, I know I, I, I really accept as truth. I don't particularly like the government in power, whether you're living in Canada, the United States, or whatever. There's going to be people saying that. But the bottom line is this. Truth for the Christian, exists. But for the unbelieving world that you're reaching with these messages, they have no truth. And so we first of all have to start with that premise. There is no truth for the unbeliever. Everything is up for grabs. Everything is negotiable. That's really important because if you realize that, then how then can we establish that truth is, in fact, exists? Well, you can do experiments with people. You can say, well, okay, do you believe in the law of gravity? That's a truth that most people, even in the scientific world, apply. And they say, yes, but think about this. A plane flies. It doesn't follow the laws of gravity. So how do you answer that? How do you answer the person who says, yeah, but what about the rocket man? No, not the guy over in North Korea. The guy that, you know, was in the movie, Rocket Man, you know, and he flew um, with the jetpack and everything. How do you, you know, how do you explain that? It's over the power of gravity. Well, gravity, the law of gravity still exists. But there are other laws that can circumnavigate it. Jim, as a pilot, knew what it was to, in his life, to go up and down a lot. You know, his, how was life, Jim? Oh, up and down. You know, that was, uh, that was his standard answer, you know. But the point is, you overcome the law by a higher law. 
truth exists. If you accept any of the fact that you're seated right now and not floating in the air, you've established the fact that you believe in the law of gravity. And so when we're talking to someone and why we have these messages, it's not just about us to be feeling woozy and good and warm and cozy and fuzzy and um, maybe not off for 10 minutes. Um, no, it's to allow us to give a reason for the hope that is within us as Peter reminds the believers in his day. And so, what is truth? Pilate said that as he was speaking to Jesus. And as he said, what is truth? He ought to have said, who is truth? Because Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He establishes absolutes. So if you're a Christian today, and you say there are no absolutes, then you need to rethink what you believe. Because the Bible is full of absolutes. I was reading this morning of King Saul. And there, God had spoken through Samuel, and Samuel said, this is the message, Saul. You need to go to this Amalekite king and completely destroy his kingdom. And Saul says, done. It's a done deal. I'm ready to obey. He goes in. All of a sudden, the folks that are invading the land sees all, see all these beautiful sheep, see all these beautiful oxen, see all the beautiful cattle, and they go, oh, why would we destroy these? I mean, king, these are good. We could even, maybe even give them back to God as a sacrifice. And that's what he does. And it's, he saves the king, King Agag, and he saves the best of the flock and brings it back. And Samuel says to King Saul, Be quiet, king. Listen up. God's got a message for you. To obey is better than sacrifice. You know, there's some Christians today, they see no rules in the scripture. Liberty. Liberty is the God of the world right now, but it's also the God of the Christian world, unfortunately. And the Bible is, is full of liberty and freedom if therefore the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. But there's also, the Word has guidance. And there are even restrictions for Christians. And things we don't do. Because the Word of God tells us not to do them. And so, there is truth. And we need to establish it. Pilate needed to know that Jesus was the standard by which everything else is measured. And so, if you can establish that truth exists, then the rationale for prophecy in the Old Testament makes sense. Without that, the person will say, huh, it's just a coincidence. I used to have a friend, Coinkadink. That's what he used to call coincidence. It's just another Coinkadink. And he used to talk that way. You know, those miracles in the Bible, just another Coinkadink. You know? And he would do that for every time you'd talk to him about the crossing of the Red Sea. Oh, that didn't happen. Noah's Ark, that didn't happen. It's just a fable. Don't, don't you get it? This is just all fiction. It's all fairy tales. And of course, if you take that, then there's no reason for you to trust Christ. Because he talks about Noah's Ark. He talks about Adam and Eve. He talks about the beginning. And if he talks about it, then we better set the standard based on his standard. So what is it then that Jesus has? Well, there's multitude of prophecies that are in the Old Testament about Jesus. 
You see, identifying the Messiah was more than just about saying, oh, there's the Messiah. You see, you had to have a certain requirement. Just as like you know a person by their occupation, the Jewish people would know the recognized Messiah, the true Messiah, by certain identifiers. And those identifiers were extreme. They were extreme and they were specific. And they were clear. You would recognize the Messiah by the one who fulfilled every prophetic truth. Not just one, not just two, but all... Well, I'm told, I haven't been able to do an exhaustive study, but I'm told by those who have, that there are over 300 prophetic verses in the Old Testament that speak of Jesus and what he fulfilled. 300. That's amazing. So why do we need a Messiah in the first place? Today's age, the average person is quite indifferent to the things of God. The average person today that you're bumping into, that you're going on the bus with, they don't want you talking about Jesus. They don't want you talking about God. Why? Because they're happy. They're happy with who they are. They may not be totally happy because there is a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that will never be filled until we find our fullness with Jesus. But the fact is, the Messiah came because we have a big problem. It's called sin. And in Genesis 3, we have that that initial response of the perfect creation turning its back upon God, walking away from God and saying, no, I want to be my own God. Doesn't that sound like today? The devil came to Eve and Adam. By the way, Adam was there. It wasn't just a one-sided conversation. He was just silent. And the devil came and he said, You shall be as gods. And that's the big mantra today. You can make your own life. You can make your own choices. Do anything you want. Be anything you want. And therefore, we, thousands of years later, experience the consequences of sin. Genesis says it this way, The woman saw, she took, she gave to her husband, he ate, and the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked. Therefore, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Romans 5.18, resulting in condemnation. Wow, that's a powerful, powerful one effect. But you say, that's not fair. Why should I, why should I, why should I be bound by that act, even if you accept it as actual history? History. His story. Genesis is history. And if you accept that as history, then you say, well, why should I be bound by what somebody else did? That's not fair. That is, you know, somebody speeding down the, the highway and the policeman pulls me over? Gives me the ticket for somebody else's act? That's kind of the parallel. Doesn't seem right, does it? It's called federal headship. Now you say, come on, stop giving us these crazy terms. But they're, they're biblical concepts, so we must get used to them. What is federal headship? It's where one person acts on behalf of the entire group. This happened in September 1939. The Prime Minister of England, Neville Chamberlain, who had been negotiating, do you remember anybody history buff? 
Sometimes we are. We, we need to be history people because the Bible is full of history. Neville Chamberlain had negotiated a peace treaty with Hitler, and he said, "Peace for our time." You know, we have achieved peace. And then immediately, in early September, um, Hitler invaded Poland. And this was a portion. I, I went last night to just to refresh myself on the history of it. And it was a mint, it was really interesting to read, uh, his statements about what had taken place. And he said basically, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating, unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock, they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist. And I have to tell you now, no such undertaking has been received. And consequently, this country is at war with Germany. That's federal headship. What that prime minister said affected the entire British Commonwealth, of which Canada is a portion. And so, in effect, we became at war with Germany at that point when he said that statement. When Adam and Eve fell and disobeyed God, it affected the entire world. And all the world was impacted by that. And so there was a need, because there was consequences. In the day you will eat of it, you shall surely die. Death is a consequence. And there isn't one of us who at a funeral doesn't grieve that that person has gone. For those who know Jesus, death has been swallowed up in victory. Praise God. Because he defeated death by dying. One of our hymns that we sing. Death was slain by his death. It's a wonderful thought. The soul that sins will die and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, God made the first man and woman coats of skins, clothed them, redeemed them, gave them redemption, blood sacrifice, God's remedy for sin, death, and separation. Even in the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament, the blood was seen as a symbol or a token. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the good news is, Jesus' blood shed on that cross over 2,000 years ago is sufficient for you and for me today. It has... I use this delicately, this term, because I don't want it to be misunderstood. It has magical properties. His blood. Because even though it was spilled over 2,000 years ago, it still has the power to cleanse, to forgive. In real time, right now. So somebody sitting here in this group says, my life is a mess, my life is a shambles, I have no hope, I have no peace, I have no God, I'm not connected. Guess what? You can avail yourself of the blood of Jesus that was shed, historically speaking, 2,000 years ago. But he says, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so, we have two main passages in the Old Testament. There's many main passages, but these are the two. And I would remind each one of us to have these handy. You never can tell. When somebody says, I don't get it. What's this talk about Jesus? What's this all this celebration about Christmas? Why do we do this? You can turn to two main passages, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. They're amazing. They should be in, they should be our go-to passages. 
Why? Well, Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity the sin of us all I'll never forget walking on a beach in Florida I believe it was Hollywood Florida we had gone down as a team from Bible College this March break we were walking on the beaches handing out tracts and talking to people about Jesus it was 1974, I believe. Maybe 73. I'm a little fuzzy on the dates now. This gal was sunbathing. I don't know why I talked to her. Came up to her. Said, excuse me. Would you like to receive a, a little message? A tract? She says, what's this all about? Says, it's about how to, how to know Jesus. She says, oh, she rolled over. I'm a Jew. I said, oh, I've got good news for you. This is wonderful. I've got, do you read the Old Testament? You mean the Torah? Yeah, the Torah. What about it? It speaks of Jesus. No, come on. Do you know that 90, I'm, I'm giving an estimate on this percentage because I've never done the survey, but I, I've never met a, a Jewish person yet who's ever said they've read Isaiah 53. They have a pattern in the Jewish synagogues to not read that passage. Why? Because when you read it, I read it to her. I said, let me read a passage. Old Testament. Who is this speaking of? She rather reluctantly said, well, it sure sounds a lot like Jesus, but it can't be him. Well, I said, yeah, that's exactly what I read there as well, that it is him. He was wounded for our... It wasn't... You see, the traditional interpretation is that the nation of Israel was wounded for their... Tra- now, how, how does that make sense? I don't get that. I said, but Jesus was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your sin. When he went to the cross, he died for you. The Lord laid on him your sin and my sin. And the good news is we don't have to live in sin. We can live in victory. We can live in joy. We can live in peace. I don't know what happened with that conversation with that Jewish gal. really don't. We got down there a couple of years ago. This is the first time back into the Hollywood area. And they had a really nice church growing. And when we were there, we thought, huh, we're giving out all these tracts. What's the sense? What's the point of all this? But the Bible is clear. They who plant abundantly shall reap abundantly. And so that church had a heart for missions, had a heart for evangelism. They knew what their mission was. They knew that it wasn't just about uh, singing praises. It was about getting out there and reaching to the lost. And guess what? That church had grown into a really strong church there in Fort Lauderdale in Hollywood. It was amazing to see. It was amazing to be back after all that time. Psalm 22 is the other passage. We need to know it. 
Psalm 22 begins, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. This was quoted by Matthew again. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Matthew 27, 46, Eli, Eli, lama My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's repeated not there, just there, but also in Mark 15.34. The reason for this is so powerful is that that passage in Psalm 22 is foundational. Why is it so important? What was the Jewish method of execution? It was stoning. We all remember the story of the woman caught in adultery and they brought her to be stoned. There was no concept of crucifixion in the Old Testament. There were some hangings, but the concept of actually being impaled upon a tree was foreign. That was introduced by the Romans. And yet in Psalm 22, as you read that passage, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You've brought me to the dust of death. And dogs, by the way, the word dogs is the Jewish terminology for Gentile. It's not Fido. It's not a bow wow. It's the Gentile dogs. That's how they were viewed. They have surrounded me. And that's what was at the cross. As those men cast lots. And there it says it. They divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. There are other places, so many others. I'm just going to give you a smattering of them. In uh, Isaiah 7:14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isaiah 9, son, and 6, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Emmanuel. A prince of peace, mighty God, the everlasting Father, and of the increase of his government there shall be no end. And Isaiah 42, 7, he will open the eyes of the blind to bring out prisoners. Wow, those are just a few smattering verses that speak so eloquently of Jesus in the Old Testament, the prophecies of Jesus. I think some of the other speakers have mentioned this, but it bears repeating. The odds of just eight prophecies being fulfilled by one individual... Now we have over 300, but we're just talking eight. Our one with 10 and 20 more zeros followed it. That is the equivalent of an amazing amount. It could blanket the entire earth landmass with silver dollars to the tune of 120 feet high and be able to pick out one marked silver dollar and be right. That's the odds of just eight prophecies coming true. I think that's an important fact for us to remember when we're witnessing. Because prophecy is pointing the person to Jesus and saying, don't you get it? He is the focus here. What he did, who he is. He came as God's messenger, as God in flesh, to take our place on the cross and to live his life in us. As we were reminded this morning in Galatians 2.20. People today oftentimes think that life is just a big gamble. You know, it's like the whole world is Las Vegas. (laughs) You're just gambling. You're just taking your chances and you're just trying to somehow maybe make it work and struggle on through. But the truth is this. 
The Lord wants us to be born again. And if in all of our talk about prophecies, we don't steer the person to, well, what about you? What do you think about this? And as uh, bitter sad, happy sad, a couple of times this week as we were over at Harmony House doing some clear, clean out and clear up, odd jobs that needed to be done, inventory, so on. And uh, people would pop in occasionally. These are people that are still searching for Jesus, by the way. And they come with kind of down faces and they look around and they say, oh, I'm sad. I'm sad that you guys aren't going to be here. But then we're able to say, but Jesus is still on the throne. He hasn't changed. And on top of all that, those who hear my voice this morning on the internet or those who... Um, are going out and telling the message, can remind their hearers that prophecy is designed to point them to the need to be born again. And that's the good news here. You see, I love what one person said. He says, we spend too much time doing everything but witnessing. What was the last command of Jesus? Well, it depends on where you put the word last. But he says, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. You shall be my witnesses. And he says, go out, make disciples. Hey, by the way, he didn't say make Christians. He didn't say make believers. He said make disciples. The true test of a person's faith is whether they're really following. Well, all too often, we make what we call believers. Say this prayer. Well, yeah, you need to pray and you need to mean it. But the bottom line is this. If there isn't a life being lived, then maybe there's a phoniness in our prayer. I'm speaking my own heart here. I, I did that thing. I prayed the phony prayer. You see, because God hears what you say in your heart, not what you say with your lips or what you say with your mind. He sees the pattern of our life. And like King Saul who said, I have obeyed the Lord. I have obeyed the Lord. And Sam says, no, you haven't. What's that bleeding on my ears? Where are those lambs? What, what's going on here? To obey is better than sacrifice. And so he says, don't be surprised. You need to be born again. Paul knew that as well. And when he came face to face with the Lord Jesus, he asked, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus. The good news is, he's still Jesus. And he's still willingly offering himself. The day of grace is still here. You know, I love the fact that we can say, Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But the bottom line is this. When that happens, there's going to be amazing judgment fall upon this earth. And so, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. 2 Corinthians 5.17, a wonderful verse to know and memorize. And this is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. True faith zeroes in on belief. That is God's work in us. John 6.29 Romans 10.9 and 10 If you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. This is not an empty confession. All too often we call this confirmation, we call this confession, we do it with kids in Sunday school, we do it all the time. And the bottom line is the person maybe feels a little bit better for doing something. 
but they've never really confessed with their mouth Jesus as Lord and believed on him in their heart. With the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so this is a great verse as well. Tying it into the prophecies of Jesus, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come. That's the great paradox. He loves us enough to send his son to die in our place, but he also loves us enough to allow us the opportunity to choose. And he will not force himself. He's too much. He's too loving. He's too much of a gentleman. He will never force himself. You need to open the door and come into him, and I will sup with him and he with me. And so this same Jesus who is taken up into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The truth of the prophecy of the Old Testament is he's coming again. Isn't that wonderful? He is coming again. We've all seen a new year come. We're now seven days into the new year. Who knows how long this year will go for any of us. For the world, Jesus could come back this year. He will come back. And judgment is coming. Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 4.1 I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. When he appears, Paul says he's going to judge the living and the dead. We need to be about his work while we can. This message this morning has been about a little bit of a sampling of some of the prophecies. But it doesn't really matter unless you and I know the Lord Jesus and want to see others one for him. The very last of the New Testament puts it this way. John writes in Revelation 22 verse 20, He who testifies to these things says, I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And then he ends with verse 21. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May 2018 be a year of grace for you. May we experience wondrous grace as we further serve in the kingdom. Our prayers go with our brother and sister to Cambodia. May God richly bless you. But may God richly bless each one of you because this is our Cambodia right here. As cold as it is, as frozen as the north is, there are lives itching to know Jesus. And may each one of us be the herald that points others to the Savior while there is yet time. May God bless us. Let's call our our singing group, our music team up, and we will go to the last of the hymns. Thank you. We thank you for your presence here in this place. Lord, if there's one or more hearts that have been touched this morning and need to get right with you, Lord, this might be their day. Lord, that your Holy Spirit will just do that quickening work in their lives and cause that new birth that we so enjoy. And Lord, for those of us who know you, Lord, give us 
lips that are open to sharing this good news of the gospel of your son. Lord, there is a mandate each one of us has. Some of us have varying gifts, but Lord, may we all be your spokespeople, your messengers of love. And so, Lord, bless us now as we enter into this new year. May we do so in confidence that the victory has been won and it has been won because you won it. And we give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.